The following podcast is part of the Underdog Sports Podcast Network. For advertising information or to find more great podcasts, visit us at www.theunderdogsports.com and follow us on Twitter at RealTheUnderdog. You're listening to the Underdog Sports NBA Show. Cross green. Cross. With host Tyler Laurie and Zandrick Ellison. <laughs> Brought to you by Underdog Sports. Tune in every week as Tyler and Zan recap the biggest storylines and news in the NBA. Welcome to episode 82 of the Underdog Sports NBA show. I am Tyler Laurie and I am back from my one week hiatus. Replacing Dondrick Ellison, who uh, was coming in hot <laughs> with advice, Zan. But uh, before we get to that, Zan... As always, joined by my co-host, Sandrick Ellison, out in California. Zan, how are you today? Good. It was a successful week, I thought, for the NBA. And, and it might be related to the fact that you weren't around. I think people just kind of loosened up, had some fun with the dunk contest, was generated headlines in the All-Star game. Smash success, according to everybody. I, I kind of agree. Yeah, I think uh, All-Star weekend was was good. Uh, you know, it was a good dunk contest for sure. And I think that, like... It's All-Star Saturday night is probably, I think, Zan, and we'll get into the All-Star game a little bit and then talk about some other stuff going on in the NBA, but All-Star Saturday night always seems to be, like, in theory, a lot more fun than it actually is, right? Like, am I, I don't mean to be, like, a grumpy old man here, but, like, I feel like the skills contest and the three-point contest are always fun, but they're, like, a little bit slow, and then they always put the dunk contest last, and it just seems like... This was the best content since Aaron Gordon and Zach Levine, but I mean, since that, that means what we've had two good dunk contests in 10 years. Yeah, but I thought it lived up to the hype. I thought, you know, Pat Connington had a couple good dunks, you know, he didn't advance. And um, obviously, Aaron Gordon and Derek Jones Jr. had great. They were great. They kept putting up 50s, they kept putting up exciting dunks. There's some issues with it, of course. Um, you know, People got really upset. Apparently, did you see the judges? I think intended for it to be a tie. Well, that was so Ramona Shelburne. Yeah, no, I don't think that they messed up the math. Uh, Ramona Shelburne wrote that article about how common, right? No, yeah, common said that it was supposed to be dueling 48s and somebody screwed up and he like said it in quotes and gave another nine on Aaron Gordon's dunk over Taco Fall. And so there was a lot of talk about Dwayne Wade rigging the dunk contests, not really rigging it, but making it so Derek Jones was the winner. Well, I thought it was really annoying because the announcers, you know, kind of took over control and they were, you know, it was Kenny, I think, and, and Reggie Miller. And they kept and going Kevin, back and, and forth. Ke- and Kevin Harlan, yeah. And getting a lot of 50s. And and then the announcers, I, I'm saying this because Reggie and, and Kenny were, primarily the culprits and saying like it needs to be a tie it needs to be a tie they should just end it here they should walk off here and i'm like why this is going really well it's exciting and there's even like a fallback in the according to kevin arlen i don't know if this is true they said if it would have been tied again then the judges would have had to pick the winner themselves individually and there's five of them like a jury and i think that would have actually been very compelling and put them in a difficult spot the problem is the judges don't want to be in a difficult spot. You know, they just want to do what the crowd wants them to do, which is usually give tens to pretty good dunks. So um, it was disappointing, though. That's a disappointing end, I guess. Let's talk about the dunk contest for a second in terms of the actual dunks. Because you, I, I feel like we're on opposite sides. I thought Aaron Gordon 
100%. Yeah, because it, it's funny because if we were the jury, you would have voted for Aaron Gordon and I would have voted for Jones. My hot take was that Derek Jones shouldn't have made the finals. Like his first dunk over Bam, he pushed off of Bam like very clearly, like extended his arm to get up on Bam. And, and they gave that a 45. And I was really surprised because I do think like non-dunkers commenting on people like jumping over guys like, oh man, that's not impressive that he jumped over, dunked over Chance the Rapper. He's five foot five. Like you happened to text me that, but John Hollinger was also tweeting about that with Aaron Gordon. But I thought Pat Connington's first two dunks were better than Derek Jones's first two dunks. But I do think that the judges know that like Derek Jones is a better dunker and it's much more like Connington was kind of more of a showman. He put on the, uh, the white man can't jump stuff. And, you know, I think that was cool. He dunked over Giannis, which was real dangerous bucks personnel. You know, at least Kenny was smart enough to say that if he, if he smashed into Giannis, he was going to get cut the next day because Kenny and Reggie, I thought were annoying. Like Kenny, I think is funny, but it was just like stream of consciousness talking. And to me, like Kevin Harlan didn't do a good enough job reining them in. But I, I did think Aaron Gordon won. And I thought Aaron Gordon had two. I of thought the- Aaron Gordon kind of mailed in a few and got like reputation based 50s. Which and one then, did he mail in? Well, I, he did the same one twice, I think, I believe. And then he missed one once. And then. Well, he missed I, the, the, the spin, the, like the dunk, the 360 off the side of the backboard where he caught in his right hand and didn't do it. He missed the first one because Markel Fultz's pass was not where it needed to be. It wasn't Fultz's fault, but it's tough dunk. Got the yips. Um, I I was just annoyed at Aaron Gordon because he he was the one actually too saying all the time like we need to stop. I don't have any dunks left, and I get it. Like it's a stupid format in the sense that like you have you think four dunks, you first two round, first two in the first round, and then you have your two in the finals. And so he probably came up with four dunks that he thought were going to be really good. And then they expect which him to he did, like, which he did do, by the way. Yeah, but then then he ran out, you know, and and then he came up with the taco fall thing on the fly. Apparently, he wanted to dunk. He you know he wanted to dunk over Shaq, and Shaq said no. Like he oh, said, like funny. hey, can I jump over you? And Shaq said no. And Taco was like, you could tell like, it's cool when Taco like Taco Fall is never going to be like an NBA player of substance. At least I would be surprised. But it's fun to like get him out there, and he's like, you know, he's having a good time. You could tell he was really scared that like. It was very possible Aaron Gordon was going to just bowl him over. And I would have been fine with Aaron Gordon winning because that's a good moment at the end. It felt spontaneous. And I was saying, like, that that's the problem with the dunk contest. Like, say you have, you know, in theory, if you knew it was going to be a tie, you would save your last dunk for the end, right? For the fifth dunk. But you're probably not going to get there. And you're probably not going to necessarily get, like, Pat Connington. You're not necessarily going to get to the finals either. So maybe he had, Pat Connington had better dunks up his sleeve. Yeah, he said he had one. And Dwight Howard said the same thing, like, that he had one where he's going to throw it off the backboard and put his elbow in the rim, which would have been cool. There, to me, here's the thing. There were four just, like, unbelievable dunks. I thought Aaron Gordon's, like, 360 off the side of the backboard was amazing. Like, I thought that was the best dunk. And I think you could tell how good a dunk is because he did miss it. He, must, he missed it the first time, and then the second time the pass was bad. And then he made it in. It was still awesome. Derek Jones throwing it off the backboard and jumping over a guy and putting it between his legs was unbelievable. Like, that's never happened in contests before. And I thought, like, you know, Aaron Gordon did the spinning dunk right after that, and it kind of overshadowed it a little bit. That dunk was great. I thought the tornado dunk that Derek Jones did, like the 360 under the legs coming from the right side of the hoop was fantastic. And then I thought Aaron Gordon over Taco Fall, like I, I thought like he jumped over Chance the Rapper and put it between his legs and he cleared Chance the Rapper by like a foot. Like those dunks were all good. But they him jump. Good. Him I, d- I think like everyone wants to like come up with like fixes and I have a couple little tweaks too, but like, I don't think anything's fundamentally broken. It's still really fun to watch. Let's talk. All right. One minute on your fixes. What do you got? I know, I know you have, you have two things that you really like, but I have one rebuttal already, but go ahead. <laughs> oh, wow. Spoiler alert. I, uh, 
I think the big issue with like the scoring is that they set the bar too low at the beginning and somebody has a pretty good dunk and they get a 50 or 10 out of 10 right out of the gate. And then you have nowhere to go, but up, uh, you can't go up. I mean, so, I mean, if a guy like, you know, jumped off the roof, like Spider-Man and flew down for a dunk, then he would still get a 10. Like it needs to be, there needs to be a higher score. So I think either two things need to have one, every judge First of all, judges should just be smarter and start like with eights instead of tens. But um, every judge, maybe if they if they don't want to do that, every judge gets one eleven all night, and you kind of have to pick when to give that out, if at all. And that way, like if something totally raises the bar, it, w- it would be a game changer. Uh, how's that? The first idea? Do you judge that? I, one? I don't. I, I here's what I'll say. I I don't think it's a bad idea. I don't love it though because like if you use it too early and then somebody else does a better dunk and they lose because you don't have it, I don't think that's a good idea. I would rather they just go to point fives. Like I'd rather there be more scoring options instead of it just being like only eights, nines, and tens. Give a guy, give them point five so they can do eight point five and nine point five. But, <laughs> but also you have like, to, but you have to admit that I heard the point five thing too. There are plenty of scoring options. There's one, two, three, four. They just no, you can't. Them. No, 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 you can't do. I thought it was you could only the lowest score you can get is a forty. I thought unless you get a zero. Oh, really? Like, well, is that like a hard rule or is that that, sort of that like, was what I was going to say? Like, we only ever see guys give eight, nines, and tens, and obviously they want the scores to be good, but like just let them be five through ten. You know what I mean? Like, if somebody does a dunk that's a thirty-five, like it's all sevens, they just they shouldn't get a forty. You know, the problem is you're right. Like, good dunks and making dunks on the first try get rewarded with 45 to 50 every time pretty much. Yeah. And then it becomes a matter of like, don't mess up or, um, although I would, I would recommend this for a tiebreaker in the future. If they, if they don't want to put the pressure on the judges and I, I understand that. Um, what about like a horse kind of situation where it's like, I don't know who goes you first, match but the dunk. That'd be you have to match cool. it. And if you don't, then you lose. Well, the other that's cool. And then, or like, just keep raising the basket. Like Derek Jones and Aaron Gordon, like trying to dunk on like a 12, five hoop. Do you don't think that'd be cool? It would be cool. <laughs> I agree. I mean, it would favor, it would hurt guys like Nate Robinson or something, but. Um, so we should just add that the high dunk as a, as it's other uh, contest. Yeah. I, I liked it. And I'll tell you, it was fun. That- it was fun. And the drama was really good. Right. Aaron Gordon whining was kind of annoying, but I also agree with what he said. Like he had four, he got four straight fifties, a fifth one on like the dunk off. Like does and he doesn't win? Like shouldn't you just get your total score at that point or something? I don't know. I think it's all about moments, you know. And so I think like the eleven thing, maybe it's not practical, but like the goal is like a moment that you're going to remember. Maybe that was the Taco Fall dunk, just because it's Taco Fall, you know. But you want something that you're sharing with people the next day. You don't want a guy who's going to like consistently pretty good dunks. There are four dunks that I will absolutely remember from that. And and it's the taco fall, the Aaron Gordon side of the backboard, and then the two Derek Jones under the legs dunks. Like those were ridiculously good dunks. Cause you don't like, think about it, Zan, like how many dunks can you name from past contests? Like Aaron Gordon has an Aaron, Aaron Gordon has another one. He has the mascot dunk, which was like unbelievable. And he still didn't win that contest. Yeah. But you don't want consistent. I mean that you, the system rewards consistency, but definitely I think history should remember like excellence or moments. And so maybe like the, the first round, like if you just have the highest score in a round, you advance or something. You know, the other thing that was crazy was it seemed like the judges were judging off instant replays for a lot of guys. Cause like, they didn't know that Pat Connington jumped over Giannis and banged the ball off the backboard. Like that was a really good dunk and it was cool, but you didn't see that in the moment. And then we heard Kenny like radio to Dwayne Wade, like look at the replay, look at slow motion. And like, that's stupid. Like your initial reaction of like, Hey, this dunk is pretty good. Should 
should kind of carry over, right? You should. Oh no, I that's like it. sort of like the the on the players to kind of hype it up properly. Like I remember when Dwight Howard did the. I think he like put a sticker on the 12 foot mark or something. Like he kind of like, that was the Dwight Howard one. Yeah. Yeah. So it's like, he kind of tells you, he leads you where you're going. He's going with this. He's going to get that high or whatever. Um, Or makes it clear what, like what he's trying to do. I think in in the sense that we disagree in terms of who should have won, I think we both are in huge agreement that all-star Saturday night ended super strong. Like social media was like a buzz. Like everybody was, it seemed like every, you know, the NBA people were watching. It seems like the players had a really good time. It also created drama, which is good. And I don't know, you know, I, I know they get some sort of like cash prize for winning, but also Aaron Gordon has a $60 million contract. Like he'll be all right. You know, like it's not a big deal. So I think like that was a success. And then the all-star game, and I kind of want you to talk about this a little bit because you, you watched a little more closely. I did end up watching, I fell asleep and then I did end up watching the fourth quarter, which was a lot of fun. Right. Well, I thought the the story of the weekend is the, the all-star game because the idea of, it's called what is it called like the, the guy who came up with it, the, Eli, the Elam. Elam ending the, I want to I, I do have a I, I'm curious of your opinion of the Elam ending because I think you like it for everything pretty much yeah so that's why I think it's important so the idea just to recap in case you missed it is I think he originally thought there's a certain point in the game where we're going to say you have to score whoever's leading has to score seven more points I, I believe that's what he started with and the other team has a chance to catch up. And so in the All-Star game, they made it 24 in the fourth quarter to honor Kobe. By the way, you want to hear something funny? I bet the over and didn't even realize that the fourth quarter was capped. I, I knew it was an I knew it was an Elam ending, but I had no idea that it was like I thought they did the Elam ending like the tournament does, where at a certain time in the fourth quarter, they're right. like, okay, here's the rest of the score. So I was like, oh, I don't care about the Elam ending. Like it'll go way over. And I was talking to my father-in-law about it. I was like, 303 and a half, like. This isn't a problem. And then I realized I only got 48 total. I mean, I guess 47 total points in the fourth quarter. And I was like, oh, no, <laughs> what, what an idiot. <laughs> but it was this, I mean. It hit, by the way, I did win that bet. Just- <laughs> they were, they tried extremely hard. And LeBron and Chris Paul, I think, were like at the forefront of that because they were, you know, really getting intense, like yelling at the refs after every call, basically. And I think the benefit, I do think this is something that they could look at for regular games. The benefit being, twofold one is you get less intentional fouls because you could just stop somebody and get zero and you don't get that as much in the nba anyway it's not as huge of a problem for the nba as i think it is in college but i agree and the second thing is you're going to have essentially a game winner even if you're up by 15 you're going to have a game winner every single game that's kind of fun um there are some problems with it like we saw in this game Anthony Davis, you know, hit a free throw to hit cross the game winner mark, which is kind of against the climactic. Of course. Yeah, I think that, you know, it's interesting. Obviously, you don't want to like devalue free throws, but I did see, I think Bob Volgares retweeted this or he was talking about this with somebody. So I don't want to take the credit for it. But, you know, instead of having it be you go to the foul line and you can win the game at a foul line, like, why don't you make free throws minus one for the other team? Right. I've heard that, but you just don't know how long the game's going to go. And, and I think from a box score point of view, it'd be kind of hard to figure out. Yeah, that's out. true. It'd be very, it'd be very odd to see like how you scored. Cause you can't give it to points. I, see, I like the Elam ending. I just don't think you should be able to win on a free throw. Like I, I think like it'd be get rid of shooting fouls in the fourth quarter. Maybe, but like, and I think it's so new and coaches don't really understand it and players don't really understand it. I've illustrated by the fact that James Harden was down, had to score one point drives, kicks it out for three. Um, typical your buddy, James Harden, basketball IQ. Um, he does have a high basketball IQ. There are like, I think little loopholes that you could exploit that I think people haven't realized. Like say you and I are playing and you need to score three 
it could be fun. You're going to have to hit a three to win the game, but why don't I foul you in that situation? Well, you, it's the same. Yeah, you should do that. It's the exact same as, but then you would foul me. And then, so you would have this weird situation where it's like, if you're down by, if you need to score three, you'd have intentional fouls, which feels odd. But then you would still, like you said, you're, you're basically, you're essentially talking about like solving the correct way to play, which is kind of what we're trying to do. Like with Mori ball and all that stuff is like, what's the best way to play. And I think they'll never, I don't think they'll ever implement an elam ending in the NBA. Like, I think it made sense for the all-star game because you just don't want it to drag on. And it was easy to say like, Hey, this way we make the final score 24. And it's, you know, they renamed the all-star MVP trophy, which was won by Kawhi Leonard after Kobe, which I thought was a nice touch. But like, I I think the most important thing was that guys cared. And like, I I don't remember a lot of all-star games where guys really care. And it was, you know, I, like I said, I fell asleep. Like I won't pretend that I stayed up and watched it. And I woke up and like Twitter and it was, a, was a buzz with it. And I got a bunch of texts about it. Like, Hey, did you see the all-star game? Kyle Lowry's taking a charge. Like I did hear the Chris Paul, like berating the officials was very After every call. <laughs> it was crazy. Like it was ridiculous. And then the other thing too, was like, you know, they did this thing for charity, which I thought was a nice touch, right? Like, you know, you're giving away 300 grand or whatever. I think that's pretty cool. I don't think it impacted the players. I think the players wanted to win because they were competitive, but like you, well, they had the kids there for the charities, right? But they, they the, the other the other charities were also getting something. By the way, like it wasn't like oh man, the kids in the blue shirt got nothing. Like they walked away with zero dollars. Like, but I think they did a good job. I personally feel of like making the all-star game seem like an event worth watching and like being a part of which is no it was universally praised i think there was two things though if you want to be a debbie downer why the future versions of this might not be as good it's like two things one um the game was close and so if it was you know some team had a 25 point lead then that elam ending doesn't really feel as exciting uh and then the other issue I don't know if they'll do this in the future. They didn't have commercials. Yeah, no commercial fourth quarter, which and was any very basketball good. game without commercials feels so much more fun to watch. And I, I don't think the coaches or the players factored that in because like LeBron and like sort of the closing lineup came in pretty early. And so the the five on five, the closing five guys were on the court together for a pretty long time. They were. Uh, yeah, they definitely and without were. money breaks, you know? So I think they got tired. I think the Giannis team actually did get tired by the end. I mean, Giannis looked exhausted. Like, I mean, he pl- he played 30 minutes in the All-Star game. And hard minutes, too. And I mean, there were all those guys, like the other team, you know, Ben Simmons played the most minutes for Team LeBron, but like LeBron, Harden, Luka, Anthony Davis, Kawhi, like those guys all played right around 20 minutes. Yeah, God forbid, like as fun as the All-Star weekend was, God forbid, like... Jason Tatum tears an ACL in the skills competition. And then all of a sudden this like whole thing is over, I guess, but it, it was a success. I like, I, I like to see it. I had some takeaways too. Like, I think this is, illustrates our ombudsman, Donald Dondrick, uh, Ellison's um, take about LeBron. Like LeBron is still not necessarily the best player, but like he commands the room and the players respect the most. And he like can turn it up a notch. I think in terms of intensity, Whereas Giannis, I think, is still kind of too too casual for school. You know, he doesn't rally the troops in the same way, I don't think. I don't know about that. I think that's an interesting take. I think, yeah, I mean, Giannis' teammates seem to really like playing with him. I did like what Giannis did. You know, his team was much worse in like an actual yeah, game. Offensively terrible. Like in, 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 an, in an actual game where people cared. Uh, I mean, Team LeBron was only a six-point favorite. Like I would have taken Team LeBron like every time when they were playing real minutes. But 
one of the things when he, he got some younger guys, he got some chippier guys, you know, you got Kyle on the team. Rudy Gobert had an awesome game, you know, for as good of a game as a guy like Rudy Gobert can have in the all-star game. But like, I thought they did a good job of getting guys that like, it was important to them to try and win the game. Like, and, and that's because that's what matters. Like you don't get Chris Paul and LeBron playing hard if team Giannis isn't trying to win. You know what I mean, Zan? Like, I know how stupid that sounds, but if like, they just don't care, then LeBron doesn't care. You know, then it's just well, very and also casual. Chris Paul, like love him or hate him. Like I said, that LeBron rallies. Chris Paul acts like he is in charge of every team he's on. You know, regardless of whether he's on LeBron's team or not, and it's admirable in a way. I mean, this is like a small guy who's thirty four, thirty five, thinks he's the best. You know, the team leader for everything, and he is like a field general. I mean, he did catch an alley oop, and everyone was like, "Oh man, we didn't know Chris Paul could even dunk anymore." Like he was into it. I mean, and again, like he. You know, he was very good. Ben Simmons was very good. Embiid was actually pretty good, which is, you know, always tough to see. Kawhi was awesome. You know, Kawhi well, that, was really That good. was my other takeaway. Like, the team LeBron specifically, and as you mentioned, they, they were a much better team, especially at the end. It made me very excited to watch Team USA if those guys go. I mean, it's almost like basketball nirvana because you would have guys like Kawhi Leonard Paul George, Kevin Durant, like a bunch of wings that could shoot and defend and do everything. And if they play sort of like a small ball style, maybe with Anthony Davis at center, it may be like the greatest basketball team of all time. I mean, just in terms of the fit. Especially with the ability to add, like Jason Tatum, you know, has clearly proven that he's, you know, likely an alpha, like a a number one type guy. And you can add him, you have Brandon Ingram, like they can play this super switchy, like all wing lineup. And then, like you said, you, you, you put par, you put pardon or you put Chris Paul or, you, you know, Trey young wasn't initially on. I was thinking, I don't know if they're going to be healthy, but Curry and clay with LeBron and Kawhi and Paul George and Durant. I mean, it's, it's potentially an amazing team. And I was going to say this, this is my hater. Um, I don't know if James Harden really fits that well on that hypothetical team. I think he's just so used to playing with the ball and then also so not reliant, but has such an edge drawing free throws that aren't usually happening in the international game. And and I think he becomes a lot less effective. In I mean, there are definitely guys that are better or worse in international play. Like we always talked about like Olympic Carmelo because he was really good off the ball and like he, you know, he, he really embraced that role. And I think like Harden is in that specific position. And I don't know that he'll go to the Olympics. Where are they? Tokyo, I think. Tokyo? Yeah, I don't know. He might. You know, his brand might be big enough in Asia. But, I mean, I I think he would be okay. I, I mean, I think that he would make the team, if that's what you're saying. Like, you might say that he's not good enough, but I, or he's not right, but I, he's not getting cut. No, but that's what I mean. Like, I think and Team USA is going to have a challenge in the sense that... Like, would you rather have James Harden or Kemba Walker? I'd rather, for this format, I, I think Harden can get around it. I think he has some virtues. He's a good shooter. He's a good passer. He's strong. He could guard big guys. If you told, yeah, that's a good, that's actually a good point. Like, he's physical when he wants to be. But if you told James Harden, like, hey, we need you to get 10 assists a game, like, he's stubborn enough to do that. Yeah, but I, I just think, I think Team USA is going to have a challenge in the sense that, like, he's a bigger star. Somebody like Russell Westbrook, it's not a great yeah, fit. They, they mean, wouldn't take Russ, I don't think. You know what's the, You know what the deal is, though? It's LeBron. It's like, it's like point LeBron who kind of just controls everything. Like guys just seem to fall in line. Like you said, like uh, Dondrick, definitely correct. I'd be curious if, about the Warriors team. Like is Durant going to go play with Steph Curry? And these guys are all older too. Do they want to risk the injury? Japan is 
not China in terms of like a market. You know, I know it's Asia, but I don't know if it helps their brand that much to go play in Japan. And it may not. And again, did you did you see that Adam Silver gave his press conference and he said that the NBA sort of cost like the China tweets cost like less than four hundred million in in revenue, and they are gonna the salary <laughs> cap's gonna go down a That's not that much money though team like three like it just says 300 million dollars divided by third it's 10 million okay, a team okay tyler bezos but i i think 400 million is not a bad chunk of change no but you're you're not th- i don't think you're thinking about it like holistically like you're just assuming it's lopping off the nba's balance sheet but and and it, it does end up looking like that but like you have 30 teams of billionaire owners and they lose 10 million dollars in revenue like it's not it's not an it's not a zero sum of money obviously but i i expected the number to be like a lot higher than that but is that over what period of time in, in perpetuity? I don't yeah, know. I don't, I don't know. Like it, it could have been $300 million just this year and next year it'll be another 300 million. And then obviously if you're getting $10 million less, like certainly that seems bad, but I, I was, I just, I just thought the number would be a lot more substantial from on a per team basis. Right. Well, and I hate blaming Daryl Morey for this too, because it's, if that was the straw that broke the camel's back, Daryl Morey, like liking a tweet then it was going to happen eventually anyway. You know, like maybe like our values are just not the same. I just have like such an issue. It's just so funny. Like it's, it's funny to like blame Daryl Morey, which is, you know, and it's hard for me to blame anything that he does because he's the best, but uh, like, he's just standing up for like what he believes is an injustice. And and instead we got to talk about how it affects the NBA's balance sheet. And like, that seems very backwards, obviously, but I don't want to rehash the China thing, but I just, I just was surprised at that numbers. And, and I don't know why, like, I think you're right. Like, 300 million is a very large number it is eight zeros right but it just i expected it to be i think a lot more like i was thinking that when they 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 only lowered the salary cap like a million dollars for next year like it goes from 116 million to 115 million and i was thinking like maybe it was going to go 10 to 15 million down because of this and so maybe that's my own fault you know yeah that's your own fault um (laughs) but let's talk about the actual basketball because i know you were like itching you know we had some time off this all-star break and now we're finally gearing up for a hardcore basketball well, down there's the some news like there's definitely some news that we need to talk about unfortunately um what do you want to do you want to do the buyout market or you want to do john beeline in the Cavs dumpster fire well let's talk yeah we could do either one i mean you talked about it was such a natural transition you talking about daryl morey genius best gm in the league signs jeff green and damari carroll it'll be really interesting damari carroll i have heard from very good sources is finished like he's just done like he he can't shoot it's really hard for him to move anymore like his knees are really bad so we'll see but jeff green who is never the answer (laughs) i know i I have from good sources called my eyeballs that he's not the answer you know what's interesting he played small ball and the wizards stunk last year okay so i'm not saying that anything he does did with the wizards should be like a foregone conclusion for what he would do with either the jazz or the rockets. But obviously they, they did put out some narrative that he wasn't healthy with the rocket or with the jazz, excuse me. Interestingly enough with how the rockets are going to play down the stretch, Jeff green played a lot of small ball five for the wizards last year. And not like, not like a lot, a lot. I actually could probably look it up if I needed to, but he played a, a good bit of small ball five. And I, I wonder if like the rockets saw that and they were like, this is the one role that we can play Jeff green. And he doesn't really hurt us. Cause like, He's not a great defender anyway, right? He has a very simple kind of like screen and dive role, like space the floor, like attack bigs, like, and maybe he'd be better in that situation. I'm quite skeptical of that being the case. Well, I think, I think Daryl Morey is too, because, you know, in the fine print, this is a 10 day contract. I don't know if he's going to make the end of the season roster. Um, 
look, Jeff Green, you're right. Like he looks the part. You won't, you think he's good. And then if you like look at the numbers, like the a- league average three point shooter is like what thirty five percent. I think it's up from that this year. But yeah, but let's say thirty five. Even he hasn't shot thirty five percent from three in any year um, since two thousand and thirteen. Do I mean? Is that the role he's going to play, though, is, is one thing. Well, you right? got to be able to hit a shot, though. I mean, you got to consistently hit 33, 34 so, Je- so, so, Jeff Green, 21% of his minutes last year is a small ball five for the Wizards, and then 79% of his minutes at the four spot. So he's played this super small lineup before, and he was not playing that role in Utah. I think he's better at that. I could see that working, but is it going to work against Anthony Davis? I don't know. Working is so relative, right, Zan? Like, I hate to be that guy that's, like, wishy-washy, but, like, working is that that he scores like four points in 10 minutes of game action a night or or what you know what i mean like and again he you know he was he was de- half decent for him last year he thought shot 35 34.7 34. from three and 59 percent from two last year in 27 minutes a game and he's certainly not getting those minutes on the rockets yeah it's worth a flyer i guess and it's worth a 10 day and i let, i don't mind demar carroll for that reason too like he's a big guy maybe he's slowed down and he he needs to play the five now yeah I, I think you're right like i think as a flyer in terms of like let's see what it looks like especially because guys are you know in the nba it's a little bit is easier to kind of like integrate guys when your system is quite simple like it is with the rockets and i think you know we we saw that the rockets it's very funny, I think, that people are like, oh, the Rockets are ruining basketball. Well, now they, they've kind of even pivoted even more. Like, it is more ISO, but now they're playing, you know, all decently skilled players who can shoot and who can, uh, you know, allegedly pass and drive and dribble. And, like, I think it'll be very interesting to see what this looks like because they have played quite well since this full-time switch to this. Yeah, I think they're more dangerous than they were before. It really helps Westbrook having more, even more space. Um, I don't, I don't think they're ruining basketball. I think they're, they're definitely the future of basketball. It's just a matter of like, like that team USA I mentioned, if you could play Paul George at shooting guard and you have Durant at small forward, like you have enough size to get by. It, it's funny. Like Russ very quietly has, you know, he, he made the all-star team and I was kind of surprised at that cause I didn't think he was an all-star really, but his last month has been fantastic. Like, and, and part of that's that he's shooting it really well from mid range, which we don't know if that will keep up, but he's just so hard to guard in space. It's crazy. And the Rockets, I, I give him credit. Like I give Mike D'Antoni and, and those guys credit for being like, look, this is the hand we have. Like Daryl traded for Russell Westbrook. We have to figure out a way to make it work. And if they can get him and Harden on the same page, which it feels like they're getting closer to that, then maybe, you know, Russ isn't that liability come playoff time that we thought he would be. Cause it, you can't really play him in the paint against these in the system that they're in now. You just can't. Yeah. I think they're dangerous. I mean, like, look, the LA teams are still like, the class of the West, but I think Houston, if I had to get odds, is still the third most likely to win the title in terms of the West. So Houston, Houston six and five versus the best six teams in the NBA. So versus Milwaukee, Lakers, Boston, Toronto, Clippers, and Utah, they are six and five. And then against the next six, Miami, Dallas, Denver, Houston themselves, obviously Philly and OKC, they are five and five. So they're 11 and 10 against the top of the league. But I could see them in certain matchups doing really well. And I think it's really like the small ball thing's interesting. Westbrook playing well. Hopefully he plays well in the playoffs. It's I think they could win the title in the sense that like, hey, maybe James Harden's just the best scorer in the league. He has the number two offense right now with Houston Rockets. I, it's an all-star thing that I, that I mentioned before. Like in all-star games, he doesn't get calls. 
in Team USA, I don't think he gets the same calls. And I think it's like a slightly less exaggerated version of that in the playoffs. Like, I don't think he's going to get calls against the Lakers. I, I just don't see it. And so, I mean, to the same extent. I think people that act like James Harden's ability to impact games is predicated on his free throw rate are, are not super aware of James Harden's abilities. I think that's a very lazy take, Zan. No, it's not. Because it's. I'm not saying that it's. he's reliant on it. I said that before. He's less effective. And we've seen that in the playoffs. We've mentioned these numbers before. You know, His numbers take a hit in the playoffs in terms of efficiency. Yeah, his efficiency numbers take a hit, but it's not because he's it's it's not because he doesn't get calls. Well, and he also he also hits less threes. I mean, I don't know how to explain that, but like he shot nine free throws a game last year in the playoffs. He scored seven and a half points yeah, a game. Yeah, but in terms the of the free throw line. rate, what is that? I mean, I can I mean I can look. Let's what let's get Tal on the phone just to get these numbers. What's his free throw what's his free throw rate in the playoffs? Uh let me see here. Hold on one second. I can look. This is bad radio, but we'll do it anyway. I mean his free throw rate in the playoffs last year was thirty seven percent. Let's see what it was in a regular season. I'm I'm certain it was quite close to that. He he wasn't he didn't shoot well from three last year was one of the biggest issues. Yeah, but, but I I think a lot of that it was I mean, down, it was down it was down five percent in the playoffs. That's that's not super statistically significant. Like forty two percent to thirty seven. And I think sometimes the threes he's missing in the playoffs are because he's trying to he thinks he's going to get a call that he doesn't get and now counts as a miss when it used to count as three free throws. I mean, I don't you you don't I don't think you have any. There's no evidence of that though. Like that's very purely anecdotal that like this affects him to like his core. You know what I mean? Like well, you're saying the guy getting five percent worse is not a big deal. I think it is a big deal in the playoffs when games are decided by a couple of points. But it's also a situation where you're talking about playing 82 games and you're talking about a sample size of eight games. I mean, the guys played. But 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 Zan, if he but my point is like if he if they play if they play eight games in the playoffs, right? Let's just say they they lose in the second round, they get swept, whatever. If they play eight games and he has one game that he shoots zero free throws, that's going to make his free throw rate look way worse. I understand. He's played 116 games in the playoffs. I think I think the sample size thing is starting to get a little thin. He shot 33% from three in the playoffs in 116 games. How many games do we need? I mean, he sure, he's only shooting. He shoots 36% in his career from three. It's, I mean, like, again, that's, that's but you're saying that's not an insignificant difference. I think that is a significant difference. That's the difference between Jeff Carden and James Harden and Jeff Green that we just said was so bad of as a free throw. I think it's a very, very lazy take because like one, for example, like the first year in the playoffs, he shot 29% from three with like his second year with Houston in six games. You know what I mean? He shot. Like he shot 27%, he shot 29%. Last year, he, th- he shot 35%. Like you can't, you have to evaluate things in, a, in, in like a vacuum, I think. Like you can't take 2016 James Harden and be like, oh man, in game seven, you shot 0 for 11 from three and then just apply that to 2019 James Harden. It doesn't work that way. It's three point percentage in the last, in the playoffs, small sample size, 35%, 30%, 28%, 31% in the last five. Four okay, 30, okay, keep going. 38%, well, I stopped at a 34%, point. 41%, <laughs> 30%. My point is it's peaks and valleys all the time because he shot 30% with Oklahoma City. Well, I think you're the, the thing that I think I would argue with you about is I think you react, you're triggered by the idea that people say, oh, James Harden only gets a bunch of calls, he, you know, whines, and, get, and that's the only reason he's effective. I'm I'm saying he's great, but if he's 95% as good in the playoffs, that's a big deal for a team that's not good enough to win with him at 95%. Okay, but yeah, it's fine. I mean, it, it, we wouldn't talk about it. If Chris Paul doesn't tear his hamstring, like we probably don't, we're probably not talking about this. You know what I mean? Like we go back to James Harden all the time and like, oh, he's not good enough, whatever. He's been plenty good enough. Like that's just the bottom line. They couldn't beat 
they couldn't be Golden State. Like that's it. They can't be Golden. They couldn't be Golden State. Nobody could be Golden State. They couldn't be Golden State without Kevin Durant too, which is they couldn't be scary. Golden State without Kevin Durant for one game. <laughs> I know, but at some point, you know, I, I think I think eva- I think evaluating Houston's playoff failures up against a team with four Hall of Famers when they got one change, like yeah, losing in Houston without Kevin Durant, like definitely was bad, right? Like it, it wasn't good. But it's not like Kevin Durant didn't play in other games in that series. You didn't get a full series of no Kevin Durant. Like Toronto had to beat Kevin Durant for 11 minutes. Well, I'm telling you that I think they have a chance to win the title because he has the chance to be the best player on the court in any series. I think he's really good. I just don't I just don't think it's fair to evaluate him evaluate his other skills in the playoffs based on whether or not he is getting calls, like getting calls. Cuz in game 1 against Golden State last year, like it was like one of the worst officiated games of the entire playoffs. The Rockets got absolutely hosed and like they didn't handle it well. But like that doesn't affect like you're you're like making some sort of like psychological connection here that you can't possibly know. I well, I'm using stats. I'm using the eye test. I don't know what else I can do. We could wait for him to turn 85 when he's played a thousand games in the playoffs. No, but, but, it's probably but you're not saying, you're you're literally saying that his three point percentage declines because his free throw rate declines. Yeah. You can't prove like just, correlation doesn't prove causation. Like you can't do that. Well, I, I've watched it a few times where he tries to get a call. He jacks up a three, thinking he's going to be about to get a call. It doesn't happen. The ball flies out of bounds or whatever. So hold on. So you know, you know for a fact this is this is this is why like this is this is a lazy take for sure because like you don't know what he's thinking. Like he does want calls certainly. Like that's how he plays. But like the idea that like he takes bad shots because he thinks he's going to get a call and then he doesn't is just that's not that cannot be correct. We're we're in the analysis business here. We're trying to put ourselves in the mind of these people. I I didn't write a research report on it. I didn't interview him. You you just don't. I'm, my point is, you just don't know. Like it's it's fine to give that take, but you have no idea. We just talked about how LeBron rallies his troops. I don't know if that's true. I don't know if they really care. From what I see, it seems like that's true. From what I see, I think LeBron, I think Harden looks for calls in the playoffs that aren't always there, um, and it limits his efe- efficiency. And it's been 116 games. Tom Brady's played 41 in the playoffs. Should we wait until he plays 100 plus to think I, that he's a good playoff? I, I'm arguing sample size in terms of like you can't possibly like percentages based on his volume are very hard to judge, in my opinion. But what I'm more angry about, and not really angry, but like I just think it's I, I don't like to give like super hot takes, you know that. But it's a really hot take to say because he doesn't get calls, like he's he he plays worse because of that. Like well, he's playing worse. I don't know. Maybe it's a mental thing, maybe it's not, maybe it's a call thing, maybe he wears the wrong shoes in the playoffs. I don't know. This evidence suggests he plays worse in the playoffs. I mean, he's been he's been plenty good in the playoffs. I, I, James Harden is a very convenient punching bag for a guy who has played, like you said, a, a hundred plus playoff games and just couldn't beat the greatest team of all time in game seven on, you know, I mean, it, it is what it is. All right, we'll move. So uh, Reggie Jackson to the Clippers. What do you think? Buyout from Detroit, going to the Clips. Nobody wants to go to the Lakers. Is Reggie Jackson pushing a playoff race in your it's opinion? Hard to, it's hard to judge because Reggie Jackson's only 30. There's only a certain amount of sample size we have on him as a player. I think we need to wait to see how it plays out. No, I'm just kidding. I like it. I don't like Reggie Jackson. I was just kidding about that. Like, I think we know who he is. He's sort of like, he was signed to be a good starting point guard. He's probably a below average starting point guard. But as a backup, 
I mean, you're not going to find that many better backups, I think, as long as he accepts his role. And I think it's so fun to watch like the LA teams jockey for these guys. I mean, Marcus Morris, now Reggie Jackson apparently went there instead of the Lakers. I think it's it's not like a big difference, but it's like enough like it's tilting the scales where I think the Clippers are clearly like more talented than the Lakers now. Yeah, one thing I'll say, Lakers record against tier A teams, uh, one and six, very not good. Clippers are five and three. Reggie Jackson, I think, gives the Clippers one thing that I was really worried about, which is like size in the backcourt. Like they, you are playing Patrick Beverly and Lou Williams, who are very small guards, right? Even though you do have Kawhi and you have Marcus Morris and you have Paul George, you know, you got all these dudes. Reggie Jackson gives them a longer point guard with the ability to match up to, you know, I mean, yeah, very long arms. Yeah, like you, you'll play Houston, right? You know, not to get back to it, but you, you got to match up against. Harden and you got to match up against Russell Westbrook, you know, and, and you can't really always hide somebody on PJ Tucker. So like having a guy like Reggie Jackson, who's not a great defender, but is a capable defender. Like, I, I think that's important for them. I really do. And, and again, it's same, you know, a guy that you can throw him on Donovan Mitchell for a couple possessions. He can guard Jamal Murray for a couple possessions. Cause it's not just the case of being able to, you know, play Paul George and Kawhi Leonard on the other team's best two players, the entire playoffs. Like you're going to need some guys to guard. And Unfortunately, like that's a big flaw in playing Lou Williams major minutes. Right. No, totally. And and that was always my hesitation with the the Clippers this season is Lou Williams, great offensive player. With the ball in his hands, he can get to the line, he can score with the best of them. Bad defender. So if he's like your third or fourth <laughs> offense. You just hunt him, you know? Like you just hunt him. Yeah, totally. And so Reggie Jackson, I looked up his seven foot wingspan. It's pretty amazing for very a long arms, very good athlete. And so he can guard guys like that if he wants to, if he accepts that role. I don't know why he wouldn't. He just signed there. It's not like he, they dealt him there. Um, he has in his career traditionally been quite a bad defender, but uh, he's also played on very bad defensive teams. So and he's and he's like he wants to be like a star. You know, he like wanted to be like the the go to point guard. And this is not him, I guess. I think he could be really effective in the role. And I, I think you're right. Like if the Clippers like commit to like more of a small ball lineup in the postseason i think they'll be more effective and they'll be able to match up with teams like houston better um i i would worry if they try to get too traditional and doc is too old and old school and wants to play big guys i don't think they need to i think like i i, I you know like harold is like fine um if they want to go even smaller with marcus morris as their center i think that's fine too yeah that's what i think they'll do right i mean i i, I don't know why you wouldn't do that that's that seems like the plan to me to play marcus morris and play Paul George and Kawhi and you know PG can play the four we've seen it before and then you know kind of have your pick on what you want to do on the perimeter and you also still have Trez as well and and I think like that makes them really scary I don't I for some reason again like I can't get it out of my mind that the Bucks are like still very clearly the best team in the NBA but I agree with you maybe I, maybe I'm wrong like I don't know if the Bucks have very strong like 14-15 Warriors vibes to me where it's like this team's awesome they're on a 70 win pace they're incredible on D. They're incredible on O. They have an all t- like already a guy who's you know going for his second MVP, probably going to win it, and he's like an all time great player. Like, and instead we're just trying to poke holes in it, you know. Well, it is a small sample size, fifty games, but I, <laughs> just kidding. Uh, I agree. I think over the long sample size of two years, they've been the best team in the league. I mean, uh, Warriors weren't really trying maybe last year, but I don't see any reason why they're not the best team. Um, 
Watching Giannis guard LeBron in the All-Star games, did you see that? He blocked him a couple times. He's just a problem. Like, I, I, it'll be fun to watch. You know, like, I, I think the, the matchup, I, I, I'm guessing everybody would like LeBron against Giannis, right? Like, that's what people want. If not, like, LeBron against the Celtics because of, like, new Lakers, Boston or something. I don't know. But it would probably be more fun to watch Bucks Clippers, right? Yeah. I- well, I don't think I don't think LeBron was any party honest. I mean, like he was guarding him a little bit, but oh, wait, I, what are you talking about? Like, I mean, he definitely does. I I think he's free to. He's not going to guard him. He would he wouldn't guard. He wouldn't honest. guard him. He wouldn't but, guard him anyway. Yeah, but I don't LeBron think LeBron will be on Brook Lo- LeBron will be on Brook Lopez. Zan, that'll be what happens. I mean, but talk about a perfect LeBron defender, a guy who's like so long and strong and like can hang with him on the perimeter. I don't think LeBron could have it score with the efficiency he does against Giannis. And you, you mentioned it before, like Giannis's team Giannis lost in the, in the All-Star game, but he was playing with this like sort of wonky lineup that had Embiid and had Siakam and a bunch of guys who weren't really great shooters. And on Milwaukee, he has capable shooters. I think he's just so hard to... St- the team's going to be so hard on both ends. I don't know. It's so funny. There's like this whole like mindset out there that like Giannis is like not an efficient score. And it's like this or not a score, right? It was the same thing we heard with LeBron for like years. Like he doesn't have a bag of tricks. Like he can't get buckets in crunch time. Like you tell me, Zan, who is stopping him when they spread four shooters out and Giannis just backs up to half court and revs up and goes to the rim. You tell me who's stopping that guy. I think it's clear. I think Milwaukee's the best team. They don't have the best record, but I think the Clippers are next because, I mean, Kawhi, if he's healthy, I mean, he's just such a knockdown shooter. Do we think that he's not healthy? Are we concerned about that? Well, that's the other good thing about Or is Paul about George adding, not healthy? Because he has yeah, not Paul played George super might not well. Be. Yeah, he's more of an issue. And that's maybe why it's helpful to get an extra guy like Reggie Jackson. who You could take a few more games off if need be and let him, you know, have empty calorie 20-point games. Um. It's it's gonna be fun. I mean, I don't know the Lakers. I feel like the Lakers are just like keep whiffing on these. Like, who cares, Marcus Morris? Who cares, Reggie Jackson? But like, they need somebody. They need a little help. I saw somebody say that they should sign Lance Stevenson. That's where we're at right now. Like J.R. Smith, Lance Stevenson. Like, it was it was funny. Though. It was like watching it back and watching the All Star game. I'm like seeing LeBron and Kawhi on the same team with Anthony Davis. I'm like, that almost happened. Yeah, it would have been fun, right? That would have been not super fun for the rest of the league. All right, let's go to let's go to bad teams. Cleveland Cavs, uh, when practice resumed Wednesday, J.B. Bickerstaff expected to be the full-time head coach, not the interim head coach, allegedly John Beeline, and the Cavs are working on a deal to make him not the head coach anymore. He's also expected to walk away from the $12 million left on his deal, which seems insane not to oh is he really he's walking away from the whole money that's what that's what shams tweeted i haven't seen uh i haven't seen that officially stated yet but like i said that's what that's what we saw from shams but i think that uh i i don't know what to make of this like you knew that i was pretty dubious of this hire to begin with like i just don't you know he he wasn't you know what to make of it like you you should take a victory lap here because when this happened he was hired i liked it I'm like, this is a guy who's been good in college with a modern style of play. He's developed players that weren't necessarily super recruits. I thought he'd be an ideal coach to develop a young team. Personality-wise, style-wise, like it just didn't work ever. I, you know, I, I don't I don't want to like take a victory lap because like I did feel like the style was tough. And again, they have a like what is he supposed to do? Like you need shooters in his offense, and they're playing. Colin Sexton 30 minutes a game you know like it's 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 like it's one thing to 
give John Beeline a real chance. And and if he doesn't do a good job, then he doesn't do a good job. But like this Cleveland Cavs team, like how are you making a change six months in? Like I, I, that's what I'm saying. Like there has to be something else going on, right? They have to know that like either the players hate him or the rest of the guys on the coaching staff hate him and they cannot afford one more day with this guy in their rebuild. You know, like it has to be something like that. And obviously like something might come out. Like we saw the slugs thugs thing. Like now side note, JV Bickerstaff, this is the third time he's been involved in a head coach getting the ax mid season and him getting a job. Like this is insane. It's like, so I mean, do you ever see the movie? So I married an ax murderer with Mike Myers. No, no, I would recommend it. It's one of Mike Myers early movies. So he marries this girl. And it turns out that like four of her ex-husbands had been murdered with an ex. And that's sort of like hiring J.B. Bickerstaff as your assistant. Like, what's your past experience? Like, all three of my coaches got fired. And I- this is this is like incredibly reminiscent of like David Blatt and Teron Lou, right? Like you get a guy that you the players want. And he's like a player's assistant. And there's like a secession plan in place. And then all of a sudden, bang, like he's the head coach. So I wonder if something more will come out about this. I have no idea why he'd walk away from money. But I do, like I said, I, I don't think his personality was fit to be an NBA coach. It, it seemed, you know, quite odd that he was in the mix for this job anyway with a bunch of young teams. Well, I think I think he had he made a good point too about the roster. Like we're talking about the ideal basketball lineup. It's the Rockets with like a better talent, like, you know, maybe Team USA, a bunch of wings that could do everything. You're talking about a team that was built with two small guards who can't play defense and then two big guy, veteran big guys like Kevin Love and Tristan Thompson, who who actually have both played pretty well this year. Yeah. But like, you can't really, you know, like ideally they'd be centers. It's like a team in a league where you need a bunch of wings. They don't have anyone. It's a terrible roster. It's, it's a bad roster. And you, you hire John Beeline and like, you you don't even embrace like full young mode, you know, like, you're you're exactly right. Like Matthew Dellavedova, like what what are they doing? Like this just makes zero sense. You know, well, like and also like it doesn't work. The roster's terrible. The team's gonna be bad. They're 14 and 40, but like that's what's so weird about it. It's like they were projected to win 24 games. So this is not like wildly off the mark. At they're not way. playing, they're not playing like much worse than people expected. And so again, like I, I don't know if it has to be personality issues. It of just course. has yeah. to be. It just has to be. And again, like it, it's probably what it's like a, you know, a Kevin Porter or Darius Garland or Colin Sexton that's coming to him. Right. Because like, you don't, what do you care if Tristan Thompson tells you that he doesn't like John Beeline? Like he's not going to be part of this team when they're good. You know, it's scary for like, this is a nonpartisan thing, but John Beeline, 60 old man, 67, you know, it's can't take the grind of NBA schedule. We're about to elect a president on either party. Who's about in their late seventies. I mean, it's scary, but anyway, but anyway, Getting this John Beeline stuff, like I said, they reported the stuff about his son resigning at Niagara, which was a you know definitely a tough thing for him and his family. But I, I just don't know. Like I don't I don't know that he. It's not that he can hold up, but I, I do think that like Beeline was a tough guy to play for in in at Michigan. Like he you know West Virginia, he needed a specific type of player, and you know he was a really good evaluator, and he was able to pick those guys. Like he did not get to pick this group of guys, and I you know I can't help but think that Beeline got a little bit of a raw deal, but I also just think that the Cavs, like you did it to yourselves, you know, like this, I I felt like this was easy to see. It was a depressing situation now because like you look at who are the foundational pieces. God, nobody. Like, you know, Atlanta is as Trey young. And then the only more depressing situations are in the East. I think like the Knicks don't, I mean, RJ, is he that guy? I don't know. 
Charlotte Knicks, doesn't really have anybody. Flex, cap flexibility, Zandrick. That's what we talk about in here. Cap and Detroit. I think Detroit, those three are probably the most depressing. And like, if you're the Cavs too, like you need to play Dante Axum every night. Like you need to play Kevin Porter a ton. You need to play, uh, you need to play Drummond. You got to see what you got. You need to play Garland. Like those guys got to play a lot. And unfortunately it's a weird fit. So the Cavs stink. And let's talk about our favorite East coast to Eastern conference team. Celtics have been playing great. Toronto's been playing great, but obviously the, the second most interesting team in the Eastern Conference is very clearly the Sixers. We've been talking about it for a while, and we didn't really get a chance to talk about this whole like Joel Embiid nonsense, and I kind of wanted to bring it up before we got a chance because going into the second half, the Sixers are, I don't know, I, I would say they are definitely disappointing, right, Zan? No, like they're, 100%. They're 34-21 yeah. and 21 as of us recording. They're fifth in the East. But it's very clear that like, if they don't play all their games at home, they're not really an Eastern Conference title contender, in my opinion. But now we're getting the situation where they, they went, what, six and three we looked at without Embiid. They, they won five out of their last six when they kind of figured out how to play without him. And then he came back and the crowd's kind of turning on him. And he had his Christian Bale tweet, like, you either die a hero or live long enough to see yourself become the villain, which I appreciated his, his humor there, Zan. But you can tell that, like, the boat is rocking a little bit, I guess, or it's taking on a little bit of water. And, and thankfully, like Brett Brown, they brought Al Horford off the bench against the Clippers, and they had a really nice win against the Clippers. But what do we think about this moving forward? I, I think they did. I said in the trade deadline, I think they did the right thing not moving anybody right now, not doing anything huge, right? I think this was right. But, I mean, man, it feels, it feels like we're at the end of this, right? Like, it feels like it's coming. Yeah. I mean, because you think, like, Oh, this process. This is the young team. They're so young. They're so young. Like they're not that young anymore. Um, especially after signing Horford, it's like they're built to win now, and, and it's not a disaster. I mean, look, like they're on a pace for fifty-one wins. Oh, yeah, so they're still they, a good team. They're but, a good team. They're, they just have yeah. some deep flaws. Like, well, and, and so Horford's thirty-three. Tobias Harris is twenty-seven on a long-term contract, and beats twenty-five, but probably acts like he's thirty. His body's kind of not going to last forever. If this is as good as they get and they're kind of locked up in terms of their cap flexibility, like that's a major disappointment. I, yeah. You know, it's interesting too, because like there's still this whole like process system where they're like, if you knew this is what you got out of the process, was it a success? And I would say, yes, ultimate, ultimately, I would say it is a success because the goal is to be competitive, right? And, and in rings culture, what we talk about all the time is like, if they don't win a title, then it definitely wasn't successful. But you're looking at kind of the decisions they've made since and... Embiid is, you know, at some point Embiid is technically a foundational piece. I think Ben Simmons absolutely is. But like you did, you know, Fultz looks like he's going to be a pretty good player. Jason Tatum looks like he's going to be a really good player. You know, you whiffed on Julio Okafor, you missed on a whole bunch of other picks. And like you gave all this money to Al Horford. And then it takes you 50 games to realize like, hey, maybe we shouldn't play Horford and Embiid together. Like, that it's seems, sort of like a disastrous like stretch. Like, how do you screw up a process? Right. And then how how are they so bad on the road? Like, what is going on that this team cannot win a road game? Twentieth I mean, best offense in the league, and also like Markel Fultz, obviously high profile. With maybe he's been injured. Zaire Smith like hasn't shown he's, enough. He's nowhere to be found. Like they're playing Shake. They're starting Shake Milton. Like it was a big moment for the Sixers with for, uh, like Firkin Korkmaz was going to be in the starting lineup. They were going to trade him like three days before that. And then they were starting and people were like, yeah, more Korkmaz. And he actually, he played, re- he played really well. Yeah. Yeah. Really well. I like for Korkmaz, but like they need more guys like that. And they, it's just, I don't know what to do. Like I, they, 
you talk about looking back at the summer, like you signed Horford, who didn't really fit to a four-year deal, and he's in his 30s. It's just crazy. Just a bad, just a bad contract. I, I mean, this feels like Elton Brand's going to get fired, right? And 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 I like I've said before, I think Brett Brown is also going to be shown the door. And I don't ultimately think this is Brett Brown's fault, but this is what happens when you get paid a lot of money. And I I, I just wonder. You know, are we what what are we gonna see from them down the stretch? I think Horford coming off the bench is a big deal, but like are we gonna see more Matisse Sybil in the starting lineup? Are we gonna see more shooters? Are we gonna see Alec Burks handling the ball? Like are we gonna see Corkmash just letting it fly like Bellinelli did a couple of years ago? And I, I, I truly feel like the Sixers could go any number of ways. But one thing I feel very comfortable saying is that I just don't I don't think they're a title contender at this point. And I think that is a colossal failure. Yeah. And you know, it's I, I said this to you right, uh, off the podcast, but it's like this past summer, the past off season. So we're not talking about ancient history. They signed two guys to a long-term hundred million dollar contract. And they might be two of the worst contracts in the league already. Like months later, like Horford's like, just you can't pay a, an old center for your deal. And, and Tobias Harris, good player now has become vastly overpaid. Like he he's making 33 yeah, he's million. This player, year. But. Yeah, no, totally. But like, look, I, I compare him to like, I think he's better than Harrison Barnes probably. Right. But Harrison Barnes is 27. They're both 27. They're both okay. You know, defensively, I guess. Um, I think Barnes is probably a little better defensively. Tobias is probably a little better of a shooter, but I think they're similar. Would you rather have, here's one for you. You said you gave me the Barnes Tobias Harris comparison and like, would you rather have, and I said, I would rather have Harrison Barnes on his contract. Would you rather have Tobias Harris or Andrew Wiggins? I guess to Harris. Cause I know he could be effective, you know, or a positive player, I mean, he's but like, having a good, he's having a okay year, but he's only shooting 36% from three again. Like he's just a tough defender to play. You know, the guy that's really been struggling for them is Josh Richardson. Like that's the guy that's really struggled to find a niche. Cause even Horford has a positive net rating. And like Embiid is obviously great as usual, and Simmons has been fantastic in my opinion. But like, they just James Ennis couldn't find a role. They buried Mike Scott, which is fine. Like, I just this is just a weird team, man. And I don't I don't know what they're gonna do. I I, I really don't. Like to the point about Josh Richardson, like the idea was he'd be an upgrade on JJ Redick because you know he's obviously a better defender. But it shows you like it's not easy to replace like JJ Redick's shooting ability. Yeah, you like, can't. You can't plug and play a guy who was like a 40% shooter for another guy who's a 40% shooter and not understand that they get their shots differently, you know? Yeah, and there's a big difference between shooting 40%. And like Josh Richardson, you know, is up and down, but probably around like average really as a shooter, maybe a slightly above. But like to the Harrison Barnes thing, I think they're similar. And people criticize the Kings, you know, joke, Vlade is a joke. They did something really smart with Harrison Barnes. They're like, look, he had a, you know, a player option, whatever. They worked out a long-term deal. They're like, look, we have a young team. We're going to have to pay De'Aaron Fox down the road. Maybe we're going to have to pay big money to Bagley down the road. Let's make it a de-escalating, declining contract, 24 million, then 22 million, then 20 million, then 18 million. Kind of like a great contract in hindsight. Or not great, but at least solid. In contrast, Tobias Harris is making 33 million, 34 million, 36 million, then goes up to 37 million. And then he'll be age 31, 32. He'll be making 39 million. Like, I don't see any way where that's not a bad contract. And then Horford is making 27 million in like his age 35 or 36 season. And and it's like, they did that to avoid the tax earlier because obviously you, you did extend Ben Simmons and you, you, you have Embiid on a max deal as well. But it's like, this is the core. And, and this is what I'm, this is what I'm getting at. Like, 
I don't know who's making the decisions for the Sixers. I have privately been told that it is not Elton Brand and it's not Brett Brown. So that's, we'll take that for what it's worth. But like, if that's the case, somebody's getting fired for somebody else's bad decisions. And then like, ultimately, if you move Embiid and you're moving forward, are, is like, you're going to be really comfortable that like Horford's going to be the guy to play center at age 34 with Ben Simmons. Like, cause here's the thing, like the Sixers, they might not be title contenders this year. You can run it back next year. Maybe you figure a couple things out. But the bottom line is you're exactly right, Stan. Like this roster in its current form is what you're getting moving forward unless you move Embiid or Simmons. Because like you have these four guys making what? 100. Yeah, I mean like like 65% of your cap. They're on the books for over 130 million for the next four years. And um, combined, I, I think that's the key question. I think you're right. Like there's a lot of new pieces here. There's tweaks you can make. They brought in a couple of guys like it makes sense to give this a try. You know, they had a hard schedule. Maybe they'll get better with more experience together, et cetera. But what if it doesn't work? What if they peak and they lose in their second round badly to Milwaukee or something? Who's the scapegoat? Is it Elton Brand? I don't think that's enough. Is it, is it Brett Brown? Or is it time to pull the trigger on a on a total Embiid move? Embiid might be the guy that ends up being the scapegoat because he's, you know, Simmons is much more silent, I think. And it's easier to be like, oh, well, Simmons is, you know, he doesn't talk like Embiid's very boisterous. And that's kind of how Philly fans are when a guy's like that. When things are going good, he's great. And when things are going bad, he's not. And I think, you know, I also think it's, if you move Embiid, you know, you, you, you lose some of that volatility, right? Not necessarily with his personality, but just in the sense that you never know when he's going to be done. Simmons seems like a much more sure thing to play 12 more years. Right. So, well, so, so say, say your Elton brand steps down, does the John B line retires with John B line and you get hired. You're in Philly, right? Aren't you near Philly? Yes. Um, yes. Are you linked to this GM job? No. Per, okay. No, <laughs> but if you were, um, and the owner comes to you and says, Right, you're in charge now. I, I'm not satisfied running it back. We lost in round two. What move are you going to make to make this team? Like, what's your? Yeah, I'm going to move first... Embiid. I mean, I think that's the only way you can do it. I would love to move. I really would love to move Al Horford as well. But I just don't think you you don't get any return on your Al Horford investment if you do that. Like, and you're not moving Horford for real pieces. So, I mean, I think, like I said, the only realistic move for the two of them is Simmons or Embiid because nobody's taken Tobias Harris with 190 million on the books. Like, it's just not happening. Like it, it, he's just not good enough. Right. And Horford, people are looking at that contract, probably laugh and being like, well, this doesn't make sense. So for me, I think if I'm Sixers, like rather than trying to make one of those moves, like I'm, I think I'm going to try to figure out like, okay, how can I play these guys? And you need to decide, like, can I play Simmons and Embiid together? And I think there are more and more credible arguments every time you see Simmons without Embiid and vice versa, that the guys are better without each other. And, and I, I think it's unfair to just try to tell Brett Brown over and over again, no, you have to figure out how to fit this square peg in a round hole rather than just saying, you know what, like, let's just get a new piece. Like, let's trade in our piece, you know, and maybe you, you trade Embiid for 75 cents on the dollar, but 75 cents of like what you get for Embiid might be better than for this specific roster than what Embiid is. And I think that's the part, like, you know, you talked about that with JJ Redick and Josh Richardson, like. They seem like they're better and in a vacuum, Josh Richardson's better, but JJ Redick better fit for this roster, right? And so I think that's what you look at with Embiid is you're like, this is just not the right fit for what we want to do. I, I'm one of those people, like, I actually don't, I think Ben Simmons and Embiid together can work, but it's like, you have to nail the rest of the team and they didn't. Like that ship has sailed. Like you just gave, 
you know, $60 million a year to two guys who aren't really good fits. You know, I, I think it would have been much more interesting if they just decided to hold on to their cap space this summer. You know what I mean? And it's not that they would have done it anyway. And we're probably two years away from somebody that could really help. But it was like, if you could absorb some bad contracts and get some picks and flip some stuff, like, could you have found a move for like, I don't even know, CJ McCollum? I don't know. I don't know. I'm just throwing, I, I didn't do enough research to like. No, I, I, that's one of those teams I would look at, like Tobias Harris for CJ McCollum, maybe if Portland's desperate, I think it would be an interesting fit. I, but I tend to agree with you. Like, look, like we see a template for it in Milwaukee. Like Ben Simmons is not Giannis, but he could play similarly. And if you build the team in a similar way, you could have, you know, a poor man's version of results like that. I think that's probably the more sustainable model. I mean, and that's the thing, like everyone's talking about how like Simmons can't shoot, Simmons can't shoot. And like, he he doesn't seem to be interested in shooting, but like, this is only what year three. I mean, Giannis is in what year is in like year six or seven now when he's made his jump shot, at least credible. And the difference is like, he was taking threes when he was younger, whereas Simmons is not, but like it, it is plausible that Ben Simmons becomes a 30% three point shooter on three threes a game. Right. Like that's right. plausible. I, I think there's, I think to, like in terms of like what he could do, I'd, I'd have to look at exactly what he did without Embiid, but like right now he's averaging 17, eight and eight, basically. He's, he might be the best perimeter defender in the NBA, by the way, he might be. I think, yeah. And I think if you gave him a green light and you're like, look, you're in charge of the team, go attack the rim, kick it out. He, he could be, I think near MVP type player. Yeah, in like I don't three think we're going to, I don't think we're seeing like 30, 12 and seven from him, but I think we would see something in the neighborhood of like 22, 10 and 10. Like, I think he's a better passer than Giannis. He's just, he really does struggle a little bit more to score because he doesn't, you know, like Giannis is also like an elite athlete and just scores everything at the rim. It's insane. Simmons can do that, but not quite to that level. Right. I think I would tell him like, I would tell him, look, your goal is to get 20, 10 and 10 every night. And I think it's doable. Well, I, I, I agree with you. I, I totally agree with you. And I think like that's the issue here is if I'm the Sixers, right, this is what I'm using the rest of this season for. Like, yeah, sure, you're competing. You're trying to play your different rosters and see what sticks. So you're ready to go during come playoff time, right? Because really it's a disaster if you lose to like Indiana, you know, like you don't want that to happen. If you lose to Milwaukee or you lose to Boston, like that, I don't think that's a disaster, right? But if you lose to like Indiana or Miami or those teams, like I think that's, that's tough for them because those are teams you were – supposedly considerably better than last year, right? Zan, like definitely better than. So I'm I'm looking at I'm looking at them and I'm like, all right, how can we we need to f- play a bunch of different lineups and see like what is the best way to maximize these two guys? Because I think you have to decide this summer if they can play together or if they can't. This isn't like a James Harden Serge Ibaka thing where like they had another season they could try to win the title before they had to make a choice. For me, considering the money that they've spent on these guys, I don't think you can wait. Because it's not like the Bucks are getting worse. The Nets are going to be a lot better next year when Kevin Durant's back. Like, I think you got to figure it out because I think you need to start fielding a better, a better fitting roster if you don't think they can do it. And I, I would say personally, real quick, I don't think they can do it. I, I just think I would rather have Simmons at his full potential than I would rather have like 60% of Simmons and 80% of Embiid. What do these guys have in common? Okay, it's like an SAT question. Um, Sixers players. Kyle O'Quinn. Raul Nito, Nito, whatever his name is, uh, Trey Burke, Shake Milton. I think Trey Burke's gone, but Shake Milton, Trey Burke, James Ennis, who's also gone. What, are the, what does that supporting cast have in common? They all stink. They all stink. And here's the twist. They all have a better effective field goal percentage than Joel Embiid. Wow. Um, 
That's an annoying stat to cherry pick because they're all playing like three minutes a game. No, but Embiid Embiid 50, less than 51% from the field in terms of effective field. I'm telling you, like, I like Joel Embiid. I I know, like, Dondrick thinks I'm super negative all the time. He also thought we were rude to Kobe, which I was furious to hear. But uh, I didn't even take it out. I could have edited it out, but I was was so mad I had to let it air. But I just think that, like, Embiid, it's just like – it's not working with no shooters around him. Like it, it just, it's, it's the same deal. Like he is, he's very similar in situation to Simmons in the fact that like he needs more space. Like guys just double him every play. And like, he just, you know, he turns it over and then like he shoots a bad shot. And like when things are going good, it's great, but like things are not going well and he's, they're not winning games on the road. And it's just, you, they have a, they have a hard time punting uh, offensive possessions because they haven't been as elite defensively as we thought they would be. And that's a little bit of like Josh Richardson struggled some, you know, Horford has definitely struggled. They've had to play Corkmaz more, and Bede's missed, what, 15 games, 14 games. Like, I mean, I'm not convinced that they're going to be super elite defensively come playoff time like they were last year. I think that's a big thing, too. and Because, like, that's where they wanted to make their money, right, is just be great defensively and just be average offensively. But being 20th offensively and not being number one defensively, you ain't going to get it done. And also, like, aren't we going to play him off the floor? Like, the Bucks are going to play him off the floor. Yeah, and, and I don't mean to say he's inefficient because he gets the line. His true shooting percentage is good. But I, I'm starting to think more and more, like, offensively, Joel Embiid, running your offense through him is sort of like, you know, DeMarcus Cousins in his day. You know, he'll put up numbers. Like, I just don't know if that's the way. You say it all the time. Like, is that the way to win a title? I don't know. Yeah, and I think, like like I said, I think that's that's a big key. Uh, one more thing before we wrap real quick. Uh, Andre Iguodala, 21 minutes a game in his first three games, but only four points. He is not shooting any twos. Uh, people seem really high on him. I, I have not been particularly impressed, Zan, but it is a very small sample size, as I like to say. So I don't want to judge Iguodala right away, but it's very clear that they are – I mean, if they're getting him ready to play 30 minutes in the playoffs, he's far away from that right now. And then also breaking news, Kyrie Irving might be hurt for a while. I think we're getting to the buyout market. I think we're getting to the shutdown market too for a lot of guys. Definitely. Although not Steph Curry, allegedly. He's going to play, which is good, I think. Yeah, but I I think we're going to see it. Like now that the All-Star games are back, like teams like the bad teams have been competitive enough. Like you said, Cleveland won 14 games. Atlanta, you know, Knicks have won 17 games. I think they can turn it on in terms of the tanking now. Um, I think it's going to get ugly for some, some of those teams. And then I will say one other thing about the Lakers. Like I said, one and six against the other five best teams in the NBA, 11 and three against the next six tier. But I think we're going to see some, we're going to see some hot Lakers takes in the next couple of weeks. Cause I don't, I don't know. In my opinion, like I definitely don't think they're the favorite in the West. I don't even know if I think they're one of the best three or four teams in the West. Like Houston, I might think is better. Utah's starting to play pretty well. Denver's playing pretty well. Like I think It'll be interesting to see what happens with the Lakers, and it'll be fun to follow because they are a very fun group to follow. Also, LeBron weighed in on the Astros sign-stealing scandal. which was What did he say? I don't know. Something something that got everyone riled up. He wanted a title taken away. Hold on. Let me look. Uh, yeah, because I'm curious to his, t- his take because he usually has either he's he said, like, listen, punting on social issues or really He involved. said, listen, I know I don't play baseball, but I'm in sports, and I know if someone cheated me out of winning a title and I found out about it, I would be – effing irate and he bleeped out he put a couple asterisks in the f word i mean like uncontrollable about what i would slash could do listen here baseball commissioner listen here baseball commissioner listen to players speaking today about how disgusted mad hurt broken etc about all this 
literally the ball is in your court, or should I say field, and you need to fix this for the sake of sports. And then listen to this hashtag. This is all one hashtag, Zan. Just my thoughts coming from a sports junkie, regardless my own sport I play. I, I, t- uh, first of all, I agree with them. I think it is ridiculous. Well, I don't think they should take the title away, but I do agree that like no players getting punished was stupid. Like amnesty for the sake of it was bad. It, I thought it's a good bookend because it kind of relates to the idea of like LeBron being like the eight hundred pound gorilla. And I don't mean that in a racial way. In the um, in the room, like he has so much weight, so much influence on on a court, on a league. NBA office, I think, is terrified of him. I, I would say too that I think he has. I mean, just like we saw with Kobe, like I think LeBron has weight with other leagues. Like I think baseball players seeing that LeBron is mad, well, that will empower some baseball players too because we know there's guys that look up to him. Yeah, sports. totally. Like there's no one more influential in sports, in American sports than LeBron. And that's yeah, why I agree. for like Harden, I was thinking about Harden, like at the league, you know, if LeBron's staring you down, like and you're an official, even in an all-star game, like that is intimidating because it's like, you know, this guy is the most powerful guy in your sport. and He's going to get pissed off and, you know, call a league office or whatever, has so much influence with players, with agencies, with, you know, movie studios, anything like this guy is incredibly important. Um, he can turn it on, too, but like I would be scared um, to play against him for that reason, because I think he has like. Every media company, every every company, every you know corporation rooting for him to win the title. Yeah, I, I, I it's going to be really fun to watch him down the stretch. And like I said, he's there are clearly some like leaks in the foundation, a few cracks in the foundation. There we go. He's playmaking more. He's trying to expend less energy. Like you said, like in the All Star game, I don't really care that he didn't guard Giannis. It would have been fun to see, but like LeBron's not going to do that to his brand either. But like I said, I, I do think there's some real problems with the Lakers, and I think as the buyout market pressure gets a little higher it'll be interesting to see what they do because they need to do something and i don't know what's out there to do zan and that's that's kind of where i think we'll end the show for this week and as a cliffhanger yeah. maybe no but it, it's so fun like just to look at the season not only do you have su- three super teams but you have like three super teams led by guys who can guard each other in theory you know lebron Kawhi, and Giannis. probably the three like argue like best arguments for best player in the league i hope we see it well, and then think about it then you have houston trying to play this real wild style to try to eliminate that and then you have utah trying to play with the best interior defender in the league and then you have boston who has this kind of like three-headed wing monster that they feel comfortable guarding people with and then you have toronto who just keeps rolling along you know and then miami the same way where they want to shoot and guard and it's like it's a good time. I, I, I would say this, like the Bucks do seem like a tier above. There are a lot of good NBA teams and like there are 10 probably very good NBA teams, right? Like 10 really good teams. Yes. Yeah. It's, I'm excited. I, and maybe just seeing all the stars together and like seeing how like it's the only sport where you you have in theory, you know, Kawhi guard LeBron, LeBron guard Kawhi, like go back and forth. It's uh, outside of boxing or something. It, it's going to be an incredible postseason. I agree. We're and we're excited. Maybe you know, maybe we'll do the kicking into two game, two times a week postseason grind until James Harden gets eliminated, and I just you know <laughs> break my computer and we never record again. But I am uh, at COS Tyler on Twitter. He is at Zan underscore Ellison. Email the show Ellison at gmail.com. Listen to my other show, Create Your Shot, interviews with college coaches on Fridays. And uh, if you like what you hear, leave us a review. Uh, give us five stars. Write us a review as well. That's important to us. It shoots us up the ranks. 
And uh, other than that, Zan, it was fun to be back. I'm I'm happy to be back. I yeah, won't be feisty any, Tyler back and ready for the. Rest I won't be half. taking any more breaks. We'll record a day earlier next week because I have a, the moving truck is coming on Wednesday, so I doubt I'll be allowed to record a podcast. So we'll probably be recording one day earlier next week if possible. But I won't be taking any more breaks. We might have the ombudsman come on and insult me though, just because that might be fun, right? Always fun. We got to bring in the whole rotation for this postseason. All right. As always, it's a pleasure. All right. Take care. Thanks for listening to the Underdog Sports NBA Show with your hosts, Tyler Laurie and Zandrick Ellison. Tune in next week for more NBA storylines and news.